In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The ashes that you received on your forehead tonight are, in the first place, a reminder of the ancient curse. You have been marked for death. Your children have been marked for death. Your parents have been marked for death. As much as we might like to think otherwise, our sins are not simply mistakes in judgment, nor are they just naughty things we've done, nor are they merely infractions against some law. Our sins bear an ontological weight. That is to say, they change who we are. Each sin, in its own unique way, cuts us off from some aspect of God, which is to say, even if you don't get caught, there is always a cost. Surprisingly, we learn in the scriptures that God also punishes sin with sin. When we get our way, his punishment is that he gives us our way even more further away from him and further inside ourselves we go. Our problem, of course, is not what the world thinks, that we are basically good people. Our problem is not even that we are morally neutral people who sometimes happen to commit certain sins or sometimes fail to do the certain good things that are required of us. No. The great physician of our souls says, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Which means that there is no such thing as a basically good person or a morally neutral person. We sin because we are sinners. And as sinners, we are cut off from the God who is life. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Sin marks each one of us for death. Ultimately, death renders everything meaningless. Ecclesiastes shows us this in long form, but suffice it to say, if nothing abides, if everything dies, if every last thing comes to nothing, then there really was no point. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do whatever you can do to distract yourself from the meaninglessness that is wrought by death. Get what enjoyment you can before you're gone forever. Bury your head as deeply as possible into your mobile device, the internet, or whatever non-reality suits you best. But those ashes on your forehead are meant to jolt you back into reality. Palms burned from last Palm Sunday, mixed with olive oil, gritty, dirty, and real, smeared on our foreheads, sometimes rough, reminding us that we are dust, that we are marked for death. But those ashes that mark you, they are also in the shape of the cross. And that makes all the difference. It is the shape of a real wooden cross, rough and splintered, stained with real human blood. And upon that cross is a real human man, skin and bone, 
flesh and blood. And upon him is laid all your sins, the sins of your children and the sins of your parents. Yes, the sins of the entire world. Those ashes that mark you for death are in the shape of a cross because his death undoes your death. The human blood that trickles and seeps from his body marks the atonement of all your sins. Every thought, every word, every deed, his blood cleanses us all. And if there is no sin, then there is no death. So what we now call death has been utterly transformed. And meaning and purpose have been restored. Those ashes that mark you for death are in the shape of a cross, and that makes all the difference. God became as you are so that you might become as he is, dead and risen. Dead to sin, but alive to God. Daily crucifying the sinful nature that remains in you. Daily rising to walk in newness of life. This is meaning and purpose of the highest order. To be conformed into nothing less than the very image of Christ himself. To learn from him how to pray. To learn from him how to suffer and bear one's cross. To learn from him how to die and die faithfully. To learn from him how to rise for all eternity. To learn from him how to die and how to rise, that's true both metaphorically and concretely. In a lifetime, we Christians die thousands of deaths, and we rise anew thousands of times, all in practice for that final death and that final resurrection. The ashes on your forehead mark you both for death and for life. They call you back to reality. They say to you, remember who you are. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Return, which for many of us does indeed have a concrete form. We have wandered off like sheep that have gone astray. We have let the world entice us away from regular attendance at church. We have let our family devotional lives become a desert. Our prayers have faltered. Our use of time and our priorities have become distorted. We have let trivial and worldly things take us away from those things that really matter and from the one who matters above all else. Return, the Lord says. And he says this also to those of us who have kept the external form, even while our hearts have drifted away. Church is attended, prayers are said, God's word is taught to the family, but our hearts have become distant. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. With these words, the Lord again shows us that we are not abstract creatures. Our hearts bear themselves out in actions, 
Fasting and weeping and mourning are those he mentions here, along with the warning that we not merely go through the motions externally, tearing our garments in an outward show of sorrow, while our hearts remain devoted to living just as we have been living. Rend your hearts and not your garments, says the Lord. Why would the Lord have each one of us return to him and draw nearer to him? Because he is what we need. Because he is the grace that we need and the mercy that we need. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That, only, that love which is alone bright enough to enlighten our darkened hearts and warm enough to warm the coldness of our hearts. He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, which is to say, the Lord your God does not deal with you according to your sins, nor does he treat you how you deserve. He is gracious and merciful. He even keeps temporal punishments away from us. He delivers us time and time again from the consequences of our sins. He preserves us in the one true faith, even though we've turned our backs on him again and again. And he does so only for our good. As a beloved father with dear children, so that he might teach us and mature us and lead us in the way that we should go. Why is God so gracious and merciful? It is all for the sake of Jesus. Because Jesus gave his life for you. Because Jesus shed his blood for you. Because Jesus has earned the grace of God and the favor of God for you. You possess the righteousness of God as a pure gift for the sake of Jesus. But you must also learn how to use this gift, how to enjoy this gift. Jesus calls this practicing your righteousness. And he gives us this warning, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Our Lord gives three concrete examples of how we practice our righteousness. Notice he doesn't say if, he says when. When you give to the needy, when you pray, and when you fast. Jesus' point is that if you do these things in such a way that you want others to notice you and think well of you, then when they do, you have your reward. You have praise from sinful, fickle men, but no praise from holy and steadfast God. God desires instead that we, would give him, that we would give alms, that we would pray, and that we would fast, and that we would do so not to build up our own spiritual resumes or earn another spiritual merit badge. We would do so not to impress others or draw attention to ourselves. That we would do so not to convince others how pious or loving or devout or humble we are. Rather, God desires that we give alms and pray and fast as quietly as possible, in secret, as it were, only as, as if only to him. This is true religion, to know 
and to be known by God. Earthly treasures, including earthly reputation and earthly esteem, earthly righteousness and earthly applause, all of these things perish with the earth. But practicing one's righteousness quietly and before God, this is laying up treasure in heaven. For God himself is your treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We are marked with ashes in the shape of a cross because the cross is the shape of our lives. Sonship is the essence of our being. We are marked with ashes in the shape of the cross because the cross is the shape of God's love. We, render, we rend our hearts in order to see more of his heart. We confess our sins in order to hear more forgiveness and grace from him. We are marked with ashes in remembrance that he has promised to lead each one of us through the very heart of death, through the very heart of Good Friday, and into the bliss of his eternal Easter. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please rise and confess with me the Apostles' Creed. 